You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of Drive for Show DFS for Doe here on Roto Grinders. Happy to be back with you talking some golf. The last week's tournament is finally over. Uh, could have still been going as of the time we we're taping this the way it started. But uh, the Players' Championship week finally concluded after a chaotic couple of days. Cam Smith takes home the hardware and another victory. And uh, yeah, so we got plenty of stuff to get to here over the next uh, 45 minutes to an hour. As usual, I am Justin Van Zuden, a.k.a. STL Cardinals 84. I will be hosting the show for you. Uh, thank those of you who are watching us live on YouTube. And if you want to chat with us during the show, you can go to our free Roto Grinders Discord, rotogrinders.com backslash Discord, uh, or find the links through the homepage, but uh, the uh, direct access, rotogrinders.com backslash Discord. And we are in the live stream chat channel for the show. Uh, generally get good back and forth throughout the show. So check that out. Uh, you don't have to be a premium subscriber, just a Roto-Grinders member in order to access that Discord channel. You might be wondering, why are there three of you here this week? So we have a special guest. I would be remiss if I did not introduce him first. So we've got Brian Kirshner on the show with us this week. I will let Brian have the floor to introduce himself. And uh, Brian, welcome. And uh, those of you, those of the folks out there listening that might not know who you are, why don't you give them a little background and tell them where they can find you? Of course. I really appreciate you guys having me on tonight and very much looking forward uh, to the show. I think the Florida swing has been uh, really fun. And I think that a lot of the courses have been really interesting and it's great to not have a lot of just pure birdie fests and like really tough events coming up. So um, I put out golf content, golf betting content, golf DFS content. Um, I have a podcast, Tap and Birdie. I have a guest on every week. We talk through the betting board. We talk through our favorite outright bets, positional bets, DFS plays. And uh, I love me some single entries, playing the $100 and the $200 single entry every single week on DFS uh, for PGA. So uh, I'm a big fan of the show, so I'm excited to join you guys tonight. Awesome. Well, uh, happy to have you with us as well. And uh, your Twitter handle, if the people want to find you on the Twitter machine. Yeah, just Brian Kirshner underscore. I uh, wish I didn't have the underscore there, but some random dude has it. So I just got to sell for the Brian Kirshner underscore. See, so that's why I got the 84 after my STL Cardinals. I went with the birth year. I don't know if that makes me a square or what. You just went with the old <laughs> underscore, but uh, you get the same result. The old, uh, the handles without all the extra stuff, uh, those come at a premium. So anyway, welcome aboard. Happy to have you with us tonight. And uh, of course, we've got Noto as well, a.k.a. Derek Barnesworth. I'm feeling a little left out. Noto took down 20K a couple weeks ago. Uh, RG boss Dan Bach took down 20K last week. Um, I said I'd settle for 20 bucks. We'll see if I get that this week. Who knows? But uh, Noto, how you been? Yeah, doing good. Also a part of the underscore crew on Twitter. So uh, you got some company there. And uh, I'm just trying to figure out what day it is. My my whole world revolves around the golf schedule. So it just feels weird uh, with the tournament ending on a Monday. But uh, yeah, overall fun event other than, you know, the weather delays and all the madness that went on. But uh, yeah, fun event at the players. 
Yeah, I, uh, I I ended up with a majority of my player pool having the right side of the weather draw totally by happenstance. I just decided to play it straight up and uh, ended up with a lot of guys that made the cut and nobody that finished better than 12th. So uh, I guess that, that left me with a lot of min cash lineups, which in the top heavy GPPs, you min cash a ton of lineups, you still end up losing a little bit of money. And uh, yeah, that was my week last week. So nothing special. Uh, to to write home about, but it was a wild tournament. I mean, they didn't get through the first round until Saturday. Uh, we saw all sorts of uh, balls in the water on 17 uh, when they picked up because Saturday was uh, very windy. So if you ended up out there for for your full second round on Saturday, it was about a, a two and a half, three stroke disadvantage for those guys. And I believe the only player after that uh, uh, wave was over that made the cut inside the top 15 was Doug Gim. Uh, of course, the week I, uh, I didn't uh, have any interest in Doug Gim. He was the only guy from that wave that was in the top 15 after the, the cut. But, uh, you know, just one of those tournaments. I mean, the DFS Twitter was going nuts uh, just about the, you know, the, the draw advantage ended up not being the side that we thought it was going to be. And, uh, Brian, what else did you take away from, from that craziness last week? Yeah, I, I thought the wave advantage was really interesting. It was a nice little, like, case study. Like, I don't know how you would have predicted that. Like, it was just everything got pushed back so much more than expected. Like, you can look at the weather and see where it's going to be, but you don't know how the tournament organizers are going to handle it and how long they're going to delay it. Therefore, it kind of flipped on its head. But, yeah, I mean, the wave advantage was huge, and I think that the guys that – you know, didn't have the preferred tea times. Obviously, they didn't really play well and it didn't really show. But I have in my notes for next year, just play Doug Gim at the players no matter what, because this is his course. I, I don't and I love it was a great feel good story that he actually played well on Sunday. Everyone remembers him being paired with JT in the final group last year when JT went on to run and he won shot like a 78 comes out, plays well, finishes in the top 10. So it was a nice uh, nice finish from Doug Gim, and I'm glad he played well. Yeah, I had played him about 53 of the previous 52 weeks, so uh, I was disappointed that I didn't uh, didn't stay on board last week. That's what I get. That's what I get for going away from my man Doug Gim, fellow Illinois native. So uh, good for him. I'm happy for him as well. Uh, Noto, other thoughts uh, for you from last week? Yeah, Justin's our resident Doug Game truther. Um, so it's sad that uh, you didn't play any last week. But, yeah, my takeaways, um, Cam Smith, man, he's got some stones on him. Um, some of the shots that he hit, some of the putts that he made. Uh, if there's if he's in contention, man, he's going to be there um, right till the end. So that was fun to watch. Um, it was interesting to see, you know, Berger get into it with Hovland and um, who was it, Joel Damon um, there on that drop. I don't know if you guys saw the PGA Tour live video of that. Um, that was interesting. That's the second time Joel Damon's been involved in one of those, uh, you know, little arguments. I think Sun King a few years back, <laughs> they got into it at the uh, quick end. And then, uh, like you guys mentioned, I don't think we should try to predict the weather. Um, it seems like 95% of the time there looks to be an advantage. It just doesn't work out the way you think, whether the weather um, doesn't come into play at all or whether um, it ends up being in reverse of what you think. So, my advice moving forward, if there does look to be bad weather, just build stacks on both sides uh, and kind of go from there. Yeah, it was a very interesting conversation between Hovland and Damon and Berger. And it's really hard to tell from the video that was shown, but uh, I don't necessarily think that Berger was wrong based on the flight of the ball. 
uh, might have ended up, you know, crossing somewhere in between where they had him drop and where he thought he was going to drop or, you know, where he originally was going to drop. But it was really interesting to see people taking such definitive sides um, based on, you know, the video clip and uh, the, the, the shot tracer. A lot of our friends around the industry were posting all kinds of uh, <laughs> graphics and stuff. Uh, that was pretty fun on Twitter, but <laughs> I kind of agree with you. And it's weird because Berger, you know, he was famous for going over to Patrick Reed that one tournament. Yeah. He walked like 100 yards across the fairway um, to make sure he didn't have an illegal drop. So, yeah, it was just weird. You don't see that very often. So, um, they must have had a pretty strong stance on it um, that he was taking the bad drop. So I just thought it was interesting. Yeah, I think that like Hovland and Damon, since they're such likable, energetic, charismatic guys, like they just kind of got like the benefit of the doubt in the situation. People are like, oh, well, these guys are like fun and goofy. So like they it's like these guys are professional players and like just and I think the fact that Berger has always been known as someone that's very strictly by the rules and kind of like a cop, like he's not going to give himself a bad drop like he said but i mean no one was there we don't know but i i do think it was funny how it was just very easy to take the side of hovland and damon just because of their personalities yeah yeah i think that you know that's naturally where you gravitate towards it is kind of what everybody thought and then you know i don't know you look at the footage it's pretty unclear but trying to figure out you know and say definitive one way or the other just based on the tv angle where you cannot clearly can't see exactly where it crosses the the line of the hazard, but it, it was funny to, to see, you know, so definitive the arguments on both sides, but uh, it was an interesting uh, debate for, uh, for social media, for sure. So, uh, all right, let's go ahead and, uh, and pivot our focus forward here. We've got the Valspar championship this week and uh, keep your, keep your eyes uh, to the news here over the next uh, 36 hours or so, because with the late finish of the players championship, I wouldn't be surprised if some other guys just cite, you know, fatigue or to come with an illness or something and just say, you know what, uh, I, I don't want to tee it up this week, so I'm going to withdraw. And that has happened um, with quite a few players here uh, so far. The most notable would be today's field changes, which would be Gim, Doug Gim and Paul Casey both withdrew. Uh, there were a lot of them that took place on Monday, but that was before the sites uh, released the pricing for this week. So. Most of the the field is going to be good, particularly if you're looking on DraftKings. But Casey is out, uh, Gim is out, and Sebastian Munoz is also out. So those are the three guys you might see in the player pools uh, that uh, you want to make sure you don't roster. Casey Casey would have been one of the more popular plays of the week for sure. So uh, make sure you don't uh, click those uh, players into your lineups. Uh, Noto, what do we got for a, for a course this week? I think Casey uh, withdrew. He's still tilting over that lie he drew uh, on that par five. That was pretty brutal. Um, it, it's weird golf rules that you can't get a free drop from that in the middle of the fairway. Um, but a sprinkler head or yeah. anyway. So Copperhead this week, it's a last leg of the Florida stretch. Par 71, over 7,300 yards. Um, it's getting a little bit unique in that it's got four par fives and five par threes. Um, and it's a little bit different than most of the Florida courses. You're going to see tree-lined fairways. Um, you're going to see some elevation changes. You haven't seen that the last few weeks. A lot of the golfers kind of compare it to more of a Carolina's style of course. Um, a lot of dog legs as well and very narrow fairways. So not going to see a ton of drivers hit this week. Um, average driving distance way down compared to tour average. And because of that, um, you're just going to see, you know, not a huge emphasis on distance. You just want to kind of keep it in play. 
accuracy um, with the irons, especially the mid to long irons, going to be very important this week. And then the greens, they're tough to hit on average, about 6% tougher um, than your regular uh, course on the PGA Tour. So scrambling is going to be critical as well. Overall, just looking at strong tee to green guys. We have seen some bad putters play well here in the past. That Paul Casey can win here. Pretty much any uh, bad putter um, probably can win here. So a strong tee to green for me. And yeah, just mid to long iron play. Bogey avoidance probably going to be you know top 15 in difficulty um, this year, depending on the weather. And that does look like it's going to be pretty windy on Friday. All right, Brian, what are you looking at as far as uh, the course here we're getting this week? I definitely agree. And what I think is very interesting about this week is that it's a little bit tougher because the sample size of winners is a lot smaller than other weeks because we have Sam Burns winning last year and he didn't necessarily do it with his ball striking. He gained like eight strokes putting. So he really putted really well. We have the COVID year, so no winner. And then we have Paul Casey winning twice. And then we have Adam Hadwin. So it's like usually in an event where we have Paul Casey in the COVID year, we have two more winners would be a lot more easy to parse out exactly what it takes to win here. But I think my biggest thing this week is going to be proximity with these long irons. There are just so many approach shots that are going to be coming over 175 yards. And, you know, that kind of checks out because Paul Casey has won here twice. He's an absolutely excellent long iron player. That's what he does really, really well. So again, I'm really very much looking at proximity and, um, approach numbers with these long irons. And then um, you don't have to, you know, bomb it out there. You kind of have to work it both ways off the tee and just keep it in the fairway. And I think that's why you see a lot longer approach shots because it kind of takes driver out of your hands on a couple of holes. Um, scrambling, obviously always going to be important and bogey avoidance. Obviously it's going to be a difficult test. I predict the winning score will be about 14 or 15 under. I don't think we get to that Sam Burns number, but I don't think it will necessarily play as hard as when Paul Casey won it. So bogey avoidance proximity with these long irons, par five scoring again, kind of ties into it, but scoring on long par threes, there's going to be a lot of those. So uh, I'm excited for these weeks and that's what uh, I'm definitely looking at. Yeah, this is also kind of a unique, um, you know, course setup. It's another course that you often see it, you know, if it's windy, the scores are, are going to be difficult. Um, last year, the weather was pretty benign here. So that's why you, score, you saw maybe better scoring conditions uh, than, than what we had seen in years past. And it's also a par 71 layout that's a little bit different from your traditional uh, with four par fives and five par threes. So uh, there's no, and that's, you know, you mentioned the long par threes, you've got, uh, one of them on the front. That's, uh, that's 235 yards. Um, the 15th hole and the, the 13th hole are both right around, you know, uh, 200 yards, 17 is 215. So long par threes, there's five par threes on this course and only nine par fours. So just another angle to look at, uh, looking at that par three, par five scoring, maybe taking a little bit more importance, uh, with the way that the this course is is designed. So, uh, all right, let's go ahead and start uh, digging into the golfers. Then uh, this week, we, again, we get the usual pricing structure, and, and frankly, a stronger field than I would have expected after last week's event dragged into Monday. And uh, I think the top twenty priced golfers on DraftKings were all in last week's field, and most of them made the cut. So. Uh, again, wouldn't be surprised if we saw another withdrawal or two, but uh, generally speaking, a strong field. So, uh, Brian, I'll stay with you and let you have your first crack with the, the, the top golfers here. 
who's standing out for you guys uh, among those golfers priced above 10K on, on DraftKings? I would assume it'd be very popular, but I think it's really Victor Hovland or Bus for me at the top of the board this week. I mean, you just look at his approach numbers and just how good he is tee to green recently. And his starts at Bay Hill ways like he's just been playing really, really well. And when you look at his, he's second in proximity and, um, and from over 200 yards, second in par five scoring fifth in good drives gain. Like he's just a complete tee to green machine at 10, eight. I think it's a really great place to start your lineup, but I'm not playing anyone else above $10,000 other than Victor Hovland. Uh, I'm really putting all my eggs in one basket here. Yeah, I like Hovland as well. I think he's the the, the top play up there for sure. Um, I'll sneak in some Shoffley in my tournament lineups. He, right now we have him under 10% in projected ownership. Um, and for those of you who are trying to find that, if you're watching live, if you are a premium subscriber, we've had some issues getting it loaded into lineup HQ. Uh, with the, the last week's tournament bleeding into this week has caused some technical glitches on the uh, the back end. So, uh, but the article is up that has all the golfers' projected ownership in it, so you can access it in uh, basically grid form there. And so we've got Shawfully coming in at under ten percent. Doesn't surprise me. I mean, he was a disaster last week, but he got stuck on the bad side of the weather draw, and he didn't play bad in the first round until coming back out. Uh, for those final few holes after the the long weather delay and the heavy wind. And I'm not going to hold that against him at all. Uh, you look at the form prior to last week, it was fine. So uh, with the bias kicking in against Shoffley and the fact, the fact that he doesn't have the course history here as some of the other golfers, that's going to keep him low on this week. So I like him in tournaments, uh, but uh, Hovland, my favorite overall as well. So Noto, where are you looking at the top? Yeah, it's hard to make a case against Hovland. I mean, again, 14.2 strokes ball striking last week. Um, one of the more impressive, you know, accomplishments that we've seen this year on the PGA Tour. Um, and he finished top 10 despite losing like four or five strokes on and around the green. So you never know what to expect with this short game, but um, the ball striking is definitely going to be there. So no issues with that. I do like JT a little bit. Um, I kind of think of him as the better version of Paul Casey uh, in that he's very good tee to green. He's better around the green than Hovland. Um, pretty much than anyone in this 10K range. He's a lot better around the green. He just kind of comes down to that putter. Um, and he played so well in that bad draw, too. You know, some of the shots that he was hitting on the day that was really bad, it was fun to watch. He was fighting it. And so it kind of seems like he could be due for a breakout week. And then, like you mentioned, Xander and Morikawa, I mean, they both missed the cut. Are you guys buying into that angle at all, that they didn't have to go out and play, you know, 54 holes over the last – or 36 holes over the last day and a half uh, and a little extra rest. There's some of the few, I mean, most of these guys that are in the field this week did make the cut. Uh, Brooks would be another one who didn't, uh, you know, golfers towards the top, but I certainly don't think it hurts uh, not having yeah. to play all those rounds in that, you know, and bleeding into late Monday. So. Yeah. They're not my favorite uh, from a projection standpoint. I, I like JT and Auburn more, but I think it's interesting at least. I mean, is this the guy that Hovland's going to be forever, like the best tee to green player on the planet? And, you know, if he ever figures out the short game, I mean, he'd be he'd be a runaway every week. Yeah. All I was thinking about on that Monday finish, I was like, if you could just combine Hovland's ball striking 
with Cam Smith's putting it around the green game. Like you legitimately could not be a better golfer. So I really like the contrast of Cam Smith just getting everything up and down, making every single putt. And it's like we've seen with Hovland recently. It's like that's what he can't do. And, you know, obviously Cam was great on approach last week, but he really struggled off the tee. But it didn't matter when you make every 10 footer. Yeah, put them together in the uh, Zurich Classic or whatever and then just let them walk away with the hardware. Um, Ryan Palmer will have a say about that. He's got to get paired <laughs> up with somebody. All right, uh, it's not the Zurich Classic show, not the Zurich Classic. All right, let's go ahead and move into no, the no – DJ, No DJ talk. Looks right. like he's going to be pretty popular. He was like nine under on the final round. So that's – I mean, if everybody's looking at that, 22 birdies, pretty impressive. Yeah, I'm not on him, but it scares me to fade him. Yeah, I think JT was the ultimate example of just an amazing DFS play last week, and it didn't really come into fruition until Sunday, but I mean Monday, but I mean, he was low owned, and it just like, if you're going to get DJ at single own, single digit ownership, like you just play him, you hold your nose and you play him, and it worked out in the end because he just had an unbelievable finish Monday, and it, it worked out for a lot of people, I'm sure. That's Shoffley this week. At least I hope so. We'll see. We got him at 9% right now. I think he's the guy for me. All right, let's move into that uh, next range. Uh, Brian, I'll go back to you again. We don't have Casey here at 9,500. He's withdrawn, uh, but we've got uh, Lowry coming off a good week. Um, you know, we've got Hatton, we've got Burns in here. Uh, and then, you know, you get to the lower end of the 9K range, you got Brooks and Answer and, and Kokrak. So, uh, again, still fairly deep field. Who are you looking at in the 9Ks here? My absolute favorite DFS play this week is Shane Lowry at $9,700. And like we were talking about the 10 before, and I was saying Hovland or Buss, I'm actually – differentiating myself a little bit by starting some lineups with Lowry and getting two guys in the nines and going from there and not having to go much into the sixes. But I absolutely love Shane Lowry this week. Obviously I had a really great finish at Honda top finish in the top 20 last week, uh, seventh in bogey avoidance, 14th in this proximity range over the past 24 rounds and um, over 200 yards third in approach. So I'm really looking for in form approach players and just ball strikers that have been playing well in Florida. He fits the build. He's going to be in every single lineup for me. And I'm hoping his ownership is, I would say below 15%. I mean, he's not being super talked up in the betting market, but I'd really like to see where his ownership comes in. But I think differentiating myself by starting in the nines would be um, a, a way for me to play him, but he's my absolute favorite play this week. Yeah, and I mean, everyone's going to see Lowry at 9,700 and get that old sticker shock and, and not want to, you know, Shane Lowry at 9,700, not playing that. So uh, I think that's a really interesting angle given uh, the way that, uh, I mean, he comes in here with a runner-up finish that could have been a win at the Honda and and a solid all-around week last week and a hole-in-one on 17. So, uh, Noto, your thoughts on the, uh, the 9K range here? I also like starting in the 9K range, especially for single entry, because like you mentioned, those 6Ks, we're going to talk about them, but probably not for very long. Um, they're, they're not very good. So I like starting with Louis Ustazen. Uh, I'm a glutton for punishment when it comes to this guy. Um, if you don't count the WDs, he hasn't missed a cut on the PJ Tour since November of 2020, which is pretty crazy. He's got an excellent track record in Florida. Kind of fell apart on uh, Monday at the Players, but uh, he's played here. He's in the last or for the last five years. T16 or better every single time. Um, I did bet him, and so I'm sure he's going to come in second. So uh, I'll take that from a DFS perspective. But 
Yeah, I like starting with uh, Louie. Don't mind the Lowry call at all, um, especially if it gets a little windy, which it does look like it's going to be on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Um, he's one of those guys that the worse the weather gets, the better you expect him to play. So I like that call. And then uh, in the lower range, I'll go back to Fitzpatrick. He was in the wrong side of the draw. Um, he also, he lost three strokes putting. That was his third worst putting performance in his career, which is pretty crazy. Um, and he, he almost battled back and made the cut. So I'll go back to Fitz. And then, I mean, there's a lot of interesting plays. I don't mind answer. Um, he's a guy that tends to play better on these, you know, precision tracks. Kokrak's got a really good track record here as well. So um, a lot of interesting plays here. Yeah, you can uh, – Fitzpatrick shot well above the wave average in that tough weather draw. He just didn't play well in the first round and uh, and ended up falling just short of uh, of making the cut. But um, his brother's in the field too if you want to play that narrative uh, this week. So they're, Fitzpatrick, uh, Alex, is in the field too. So I was, uh, I was wondering that. It's his brother, younger brother, yeah. I assume? Yeah. Um, Googled that uh, – before the show to confirm, but uh, I, I was hoping they'd be paired together, but uh, they're not. So, uh, who knows? <laughs> what about Maybe Chase? They're... Is Chase here? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think that'd so. be a great lineup like Vin <laughs> Price, Chase, and Alex, and then those two. That'd be a really good, nice family lineup. That'd be a good build. <laughs> Get all the bros together in the lineup. Um, Kokrak is the guy that caught my attention as well, like the course history. Um, and really, he's not getting the attention that uh, that he did back last fall. I mean, he's made nine cuts in a row. The, the, the upside has faded just a bit, but uh, the form has still been, you know, decent overall. And the uh, last three years, top 15 finishes at this event. So uh, I like him at 9,200. He's my favorite in that range. Uh, anything else you like above 9,000 there, Brian? Yeah, no, I, I'm with you on Kokrak. I'm a little bit concerned about his ownership because I think people are just going to look at his finishes and say, I'm going to play this guy. And I think it really checks out that Kokrak, Kokrak has excelled on this course because he's excellent with his long irons. He's really good on club down courses. And I, I like him in difficult conditions. Always, he won at Houston. That was a very tough event. So I think Kokrak checks a lot of boxes. I'd be curious to see where his ownership would be. But again, if I'm st starting my lineups in this range, I think Lowry Kirkrack is definitely going to be something I'm going to play. Like it a lot. All right, let's go ahead and move into the mid range here. We get to the 8,000 range. You've got uh, some of the veterans in here. Gary Woodland finally let me down after the, the back to back top five. So we can, you know, we can de, uh, de board the Woodland train. Uh, that uh, got in good for a couple weeks, but uh, back to the inconsistency with Gary Woodland. Uh, but you got Day and Watson and Webb Simpson in here, just the old uh, veterans that have been around for a while that maybe aren't playing quite as well uh, as they did in their primes, and you're getting a little bit of a discount on them. So, Noto, I'll go to you first on this 8K range. Uh, who are you liking the best in here? I like uh, Alex Noren quite a bit. Always been known for his short game. Uh, look at his numbers recently. He's gained 16 strokes on approach in his last five events. Really good last week at the players with the irons. And uh, if you look at his numbers from this event last year, he gained 6.4 strokes with the short game. So if he can match everything up, I think he's interesting. And then uh, my very first bet of the week was Keegan Bradley, first round leader. Um, the last five <laughs> trips here, first, sixth, seventh, sixth, and first uh, after the first round. Now, this is where the term going full Keegan came from. Uh, he was in first and missed the cut. So uh, we got that going for us. And Man, watching him in that final round, he was walking in 30 footers. I've never seen him so confident with the flat stick. 
granted he uh, finished bogey in the double. Um, that was a little disappointing, but um, yeah, I like Keegan quite a bit. He'll probably be uh prop popular. Yeah. It looks like he's going to be 20%, but I like him. And then uh, at the bottom of the range, uh, I'm going to go with Tringali over Russell Knox. Um, Tringali has been all over the place. You never know what to expect from him, but uh, when he does make the cut, he's got a lot of upside finished third here last year. And his biggest weakness has been off the tee. So I'm hoping less than driver course, he can not lose eight strokes off the tee. A bold statement there going for the not losing eight strokes off the tee. We shall see it. Just lose three I, or something. You know? I was able to pull up the 2016 leaderboard. Uh, this is the year that that happened with Keegan Bradley. They've still got the shot tracker data for 2016 on the website. Um, I didn't think it would go back that far, but uh, 67 in the first round and 79 in the second round to miss the cut. And the 79, he only lost three tenths of a stroke putting. Uh, so I, I don't know what the TD green numbers were that day, but, uh, they were, they were pretty ugly. Um, but the, the, the striking thing, the top four from that event were Charles Schwartzel, Bill Haas, Ryan Moore, and Lee McCoy. Um, the more, you know, 2016 Valspar championship. Anyway, Brian, your thoughts on the 8k range. I am so relieved that I didn't have to come on here and have to sell someone on uh, Tringali because I wrote him up and I was yes. like, people are going to absolutely hate this play. But I just think from a pure ownership standpoint, he is not going to garner much ownership. And I think a lot of the guys around him are. So I think it's a great play in that regard. And when you look at his finishes, he tends to play well in very difficult conditions. Second at Zojo. That was very tough. Seventh at Houston, third at Farmers, 13th at Genesis. Like, I know he missed the last two cuts, but I just think that I'm going to play him at a very much of a discount, and I'm playing him where his game is suited, and he has really good course history. You know, came in the top five last year. Um, Other people in that AK range that I like, um, I'm going to have to agree with you on Noren as well. I think that his iron play has just been so outstanding recently and he hasn't been putting, which is usually a strong suit. So I think he's going to match the two this week. And again, Noren's been playing some really excellent golf uh, dating back to like waste management. So I think Noren's a great play. Uh, Curious to see where his ownership um, ends up, but I'm definitely Tringali and Noren. I'm going to have to agree with you there in the eights for me. Yeah, uh, Tringali, really interesting. I was curious to hear what the takes were going to be on him this week after the, uh, you know, three missed cuts, his last four starts. So uh, we'll, we'll see where the uh, the pulse trends on him heading up to Thursday. Um, there are some plays in this range that I think are, are interesting. I mean, we talked about Webb Simpson last week, and, and I was on him a little bit last week. That did not go well, even though he was on the plus side of the weather draw. So he had a terrible miscut despite – being on the right side of the draw. So that's a little bit concerning. Um, but uh, Noto, anything else on this range before we move on? Yeah, I don't know. I think Knox is going to be popular. He's been uh, ball striking. He's got some good course history. Don't know what to do with him just yet. Then you got like Jason Day, Bubba Watson, guys that you just don't feel good about clicking their names. So um, yeah, kind of a dead range other than the few I mentioned. All right, I'll let you take it into the 7K range then. Who are you looking at as we get into there? All right, at the top, love uh, Bazudenhout. Um, I think he's made 35 of his last 37 cuts worldwide, um, the highest cut rate of anyone in the field over the last 18 months. So 
Um, you got to think he's got a pretty high floor. Uh, anytime you take him off of uh, driver heavy courses, he tends to play well. Great short game, great putter. He's never played here before, but I'm not too worried about that. I like Hadwin a little bit too. looks like he's going to be popular though. Um, coming off of that great Monday finish at the players. He's won here before. I think, you know, that's naturally just going to inflate ownership a bunch. So um, yeah, I'm just looking at ownership for the first time. So apologies for that. Um, moving down. I like uh, Jonathan Vegas guy. That's very good off the team. Missed a cut last week, but he was a four under, I think um, before he got to 17 and I think he ranks three um, in his second round or something like that. And then ended up missing the cut. So I'll go back to him. Um, he's a guy that uh, very good with his irons, especially um, the long irons and he's second in this field in greens and regulation over the last eight months. So um, those are the three I like between 75 and 8,000. 8, yeah. But out is the first guy that stood out to me too. If you look at the recent numbers, uh, Brian, who are you looking at in here? I, I really like Martin Laird um, in this range. He's been playing some good golf. So over the past 24 rounds, first and good drives gain third in proximity from 200 yards, 13th in stroke scan approach for $7,200. I really like that to round out your lineup again, starting in the nines kind of being um, it, your lowest um, price guy. So I really like that. And I also like Svensson. Uh, he was very popular at the Honda and everyone was like, why is this guy Svensson uh, super chalky? And, you know, it turned out really great. Excellent tee to green, just couldn't buy a putt. And I think that can turn around this week. So I think that for a lot of the same reasons that people liked him at the Honda, you can do the same this week. So I really like Spenson and Martin Laird uh, in the sevens this week. Spenson, another guy who's done a nice troll job with me over the last uh, few months. Uh, I've been on him at the wrong times as well. Uh, But uh, yeah, I think he's an intriguing play here too. Uh, We've seen some of the Canadians uh, show some life here lately. Uh, Pendrus had a couple good, uh, good tournaments. Uh, Noto, you got any other thoughts here on kind of the mid to lower uh, 7K range? Yeah, I like uh, Matias Schwab. He's been playing really well. He's seventh at the Honda and then uh, seventh at the Puerto Rico. So back-to-back seventh-place finishes. He's never played here before, but uh, pretty good stats across the board. Really good ball striker on the European tour. And then I wanted to get your guys' take on Mito because I think he's going to be super popular at 7,200. The ball striking numbers haven't been as good over the last uh, eight events. Um, I'm torn on what to do with him. I'm not really sure because last week everyone was talking up how owned Mito would be, and it didn't turn out that way. He was like 7% owned. He wasn't that highly owned. He obviously is going to rate out really well in a stat model for you, but I, I think that last year everyone was playing Sam Burns, playing Sam Burns, and then they gave up on him even though the stats were telling you something and then he goes out and wins here. So I don't think you should give up on Mito that just yet. And I don't think he'll have as high ownership as you think, given his recent results and the fact that he's missed a lot of cuts being a very popular play. Yeah. I don't think you, I don't think you'll get to 13. No, no. I, I think he'll huh. end up like nine. I don't know. I've just, it seems like this is the spot where people are just going to start to, to lay off of him a little bit. I mean, it's not like he stands out above a lot of others like Kazire and Laird, and uh, they've all kind of got similar odds. Uh, Griffin is like 140 to one and Mito is 150. So, um, and you got Harmon and Vegas and, you know, Griffin and McCarthy always gets a little bit of ownership. I, I don't think Mito is going to be chalk here. I, I mean, I think he's fine. If you're, if the ownership is what's scaring you, I don't think I agree with Brian. I don't, I don't think I'd be too worried about it. 
Well, I was hoping he was going to be high though, so I could fade him. So now, uh, <laughs> now I got to play him. I guess. Now you're back to square one. <laughs> Do you like any of those other guys? Who does the model like any of those other guys I kind of mentioned? The McCarthy's, the Griffins, the guys that we've got around ten percent there. Uh, the model loves Mito, and that's pretty much it in this range. Maybe Joel Damon's going to come out blazing after the being involved in the rules controversy. Seventy one hundred. Yeah, I, I don't mind him. Good ball striker. Um, not the worst putter on Bermuda. Pretty bad around the greens, but um, just another one of those guys you kind of take your chances and hope he hits 80% of the greens. Yeah, I'll probably play him a little bit, I think. I mean, as we mentioned, uh, once we get into the 6Ks, uh, it gets a little quite dicey. So, um, you know, I don't mind sprinkling in a lot of these lower-end 7K options as kind of the ways to to round out your player pool a little bit. Um, you know, and depending on projected ownership cleanup, it's a week to, that's tough to get a gauge on yeah. where things are going to fall this week simply because everything's a day behind, uh, with nothing coming out until Tuesday. So, going to be a lot of moving parts this week, particularly if there ends up being another couple of withdrawals, um, that uh, that end up shaking things up. So, Brian, anything else above 7,000 that uh, that interests you? I think that's really it for me, but I kind of agree with you on Damon. I mean, he played well last week, and I think he's a lot more talented than uh, his price that he's at this week, and especially being around guys like Danny Willett, Brendan Todd, Scott Stallings. Like, I'm willing to take a chance on Damon over those guys. I think he has a lot more upside than a lot of the guys he's priced around. Yeah, I agree. I I think at uh, that salary, he's definitely um, worth a peek, so – uh noto anything else for you otherwise we can uh we can start to talk some values here uh one other name Patton kazire um really good birdie maker i think he's uh, 11th in the field and birdie or better over the last 14 months so since the start of 2021 so if you want a guy that can outscore his finishing position i think he's interesting and then in the sixth case i mean i have two guys that i even feel remotely comfortable putting in my lineups and it looks like they're going to be the most popular two in the six k's which is never a good sign um troy merritt was the first one similar to tringali in that he misses a lot of cuts and he posts a lot of high finishes that's typically what i'm looking for down here um i used to kind of go the safe route just you want to cut down here but if you're playing large field tournaments a cut and a t50 doesn't really do you anything so i like merritt and then i like pat perez uh, T29 here last year. The numbers are pretty solid across the board. Doesn't really have a big weakness other than lack of distance, and that's not going to be a problem this week. Hey, those are the two values I put in my article before <laughs> I even saw any projected ownership. I, I wasn't sure whether you're going to give me those two or you're going to give me Vaughn Taylor. I've seen a little Vaughn Taylor buzz on the on the Twitter today, but uh, he's not on the uh, Champions Tour yet. <laughs> he probably is. Um, no interest in, in Taylor for me. But, uh, Brian, you got any uh, dart throws down here? So, I, ha- I'm, I, I have one of the best DFS play of my life. Uh, I'll save it. Um, but I do like Von Taylor. I do like Von okay. Taylor um, in the sixes. Four straight made cuts, 42nd at Sony, 28th at Pebble, 55th at Honda, 7th at Puerto Rico. So, he's playing well. And then this is the greatest DFS play in the history of <laughs> DraftKings. Min Price Martin Trainer. Okay, okay, okay. Hear me out. I love Martin Trainer this week at 6K flat. He has been the joke with him is that he doesn't make cuts. He made the cut at waste management and then he made the cut at the Honda. So he's 
trending a little bit. He's doing what he normally doesn't do. And then his best performance when everyone was like, who is this guy was at Houston, another tough Bermuda track. So I, I'm not going to put him in a lot of lineups, but I don't think he should be min price. I don't think he should be at the same price as Alex Fitzpatrick and a lot of these other guys. So I really like him. And my local book is throwing some unbelievable. He's a thousand to one, 66 to one for a top 10, 33 to one for a top 20. Those are egregious odds. Martin Trana will make the cut this week. Absolute guarantee from the 6K flat playing every single day of the week. We're going to hold you to this one. <laughs> Absolutely. I am putting my whole reputation on the line for Martin Trainer to make a cut, which is a great thing to do. It's never gone wrong, and I'm excited to see how it turns out. What's his uh, made cut odds? I don't know. That was probably the safest way to go about it, but I am going for a 66-1 top 10. And a, like a 1,000 to 1, like, that is egregious. He almost won the Houston a few months ago. Looks like he does have a win in Puerto Rico a couple years ago. Yeah, that's that's his claim to fame. That he All won right. the Puerto Rico and then missed every single cut. But he's <laughs> percolating. He's trending. Martin Trainer will make a cut this week. Well, that includes a missed cut at the Puerto Rico in his last start. <laughs> um, but uh, other than that, yes, the two made cuts in a row. Hey, it's always fun to throw the bold pick out there because – um, as I like to say, if it doesn't work out, then well, duh. I mean, it was just an off the wall pick, yeah. but if it works out, you've got the audio clip, <laughs> you've got the footage, you've got everything. And, uh, you know, we can, we can go full tout life and uh, promote it. So, all right, Martin trainer at six K the bold call of the week from Brian. There's not a whole lot in the six thousands to get super excited about. So, uh, glad to see the, uh, the bold take there. Noto and I, are being boring with the popular plays down here with Merritt and, uh, and Perez, but uh, Noto, any last uh, parting thoughts on some of these uh, value plays? Anybody we missed? I mean, I'm, I'm doing my best, but uh, I can't, I can't find much of anything. <laughs> Guys that rate out is okay. Plays Cam Percy is 61. Andrew Putnam is 66. Roger Sloan, who, was pretty good at one point last year, but um, I mean, they all have massive red flags. So just go all in on Martin trainer. <laughs> there you go. All right. You heard it here first then. And uh, with that, we can uh, probably tie a bow around the show and uh, call it a week here. So uh, I'd like to thank uh, Eli for producing behind the scenes for us and uh, hanging out late on a Tuesday night at the office. We appreciate that. Uh, thanks to Brian for joining us as our uh, special guest uh, third host this week. Always nice to have a uh, third host to, to bounce some things off of. And thanks, of course, to Noto for joining as well. Um, let's see. Next week is the uh, the weird week on the schedule with the match play yep. and the uh, the Punta Cana, which I think uh, the match play has kind of taken over the, the DFS spectrum the last few years. Um, with kind of a unique format of contests uh, that DraftKings started offering. I know it's probably been three or four years now, but uh, so we'll have to see what gets put out for contests next week. And uh, we'll be back uh, with uh, whatever tournament ends up being the primary, most likely that match play event next week. So it's always good, interesting discussion, different uh, roster constructions, different dynamics, just a different uh, way of thinking about roster building than uh, than what we're used to so with that we'll get out of here for eli for noto for brian i'm justin thanks as always for watching everybody we appreciate it and we will catch you later 